I think if more people can come with potential solutions or ideas on the solution, not an absolute answer, you'll find yourself navigating waters more simply as opposed to forcing yourself down paths um, that not everybody's comfortable with. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 94. And my guest today is Chris Layer, who's a right brain person living in a left brain world. What I mean is, Chris is extremely creative, having a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Animation and Film from the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and currently works with a variety of teams in a leadership role with the Ohio Bar Association. Chris provides a unique perspective on the topic of leadership and shares some of his challenges in getting his ideas across and accepted in a numbers-driven, linear-thinking business climate. Now, before we get to the interview, I need to ask my audience a favor. I want to learn more about you so I can tailor the guest to meet your needs. I have created a quick five-question survey to help me know you better. You can find the link in the show notes of this episode at petermargaritas.com slash EP hyphen 94, or go to the episode notes on iTunes on your mobile device and just click the link. I would appreciate it if you take a moment and provide me with this valuable information. Thank you. Now, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hey, welcome, everybody. Today, I've got a very special guest, a, a person who I've known for a number of years, so I, I feel like I can call him a friend. I hope I can call him a friend. Today, my guest is Chris Lair. And Chris, I know you're extremely busy. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, join me on my podcast. It was my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. And Chris and I recently met for lunch and got into this wonderful conversation about leadership, and which said this would be a great episode. So we're just going to pretend in our minds that we're back at Loop's Restaurant, sitting there eating our, our lunch and having this conversation. But before we do that, Chris, if you could give everybody a little bit of your background uh, and then we'll pick up on the conversation. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm originally from Minnesota, actually. I've been living here in Ohio for just over 10, 11 years. And uh, I come with the uh, animation and film background. Um, so I've been in the creative field for just over 17 years. And, and it's interesting because um, I found my way into um, these statewide associations through that um, creative background of video production and, and uh, multimedia production. Um, and somehow in the last 10 years, I've found myself helping produce new products and, and being on these really dynamic and interesting teams with lots of interesting projects to bring that actually have a profound effect um, beyond uh, video production. So I have a, 
lot going on and I, I really enjoy all these different aspects of my position, these organizations, but I've also got a family, right? I'm, I've got three little girls between the ages of eight and two and my wife. Um, Liz is very supportive and um, really keeps me uh, my toes on the ground. And I, I think I'm just kind of a, you know, an average guy. And I, I think I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, working on teams and being a leader on the real projects in the last five years and have been able to apply those recently and uh, real real projects that have a real effect on uh, on the organizations I'm working with. Uh, Chris, what's exactly your role at the Ohio Bar Association? Well, as defined, I am the studio operations manager um, here. We have a very robust uh, video production studio, a few of us here that uh, produce live um, education and training products and communications products um, and video and outreach um, informational products to reach our members and service the attorneys of Ohio. Um, that is what I was hired to do here. And, and we've got the studio running really, really well. And we're having some really big success in the areas of, of video production. Um, but what I've actually found myself in a bulk of my work recently is working on bringing in new innovative delivery products um, to get those products out to our members and working on teams of people cross-departmentally from IT to communications to the education and training department to bring these large products up and implemented. And I found that there was a skill set that I had that I didn't necessarily always tap into um, in that. So, so right now, definition of my job and what I do on a daily basis are, are equal parts. I don't just shoot video and use a camera to create effective products for the organization. So I hear a couple of things, but before I, I touch on those, uh, you may, you've got a, a, a phrase that Hod describes yourself because you start out saying that you're from Minnesota mm-hmm. and, and, and you, you refer to a, a conversation we had, you're Minnesota nice. Right. Can, can you define that for me? Well, I can tell you what it's defined as, and it's actually defined a little bit like a, a person who's just always happy and just kind of is, oh, just go with the flow constantly and everything's fine and there's never really a problem. And, and that, that if you looked it up, I think you'd find the definition to be a little more along those lines. I'm, I'm going to modify it a little bit for a real life situation. And, and that I don't believe that knee-jerk reactions and, and working in a team with an absolute set of authority and, and this, this concept of like, you'll just do what I told you is in any way constructive on any levels. And I, I, when you come into a team of people, everybody should feel like they can just enjoy this process and that, that it doesn't come without challenges, but nobody's going to get hot headed. Right. And we can all walk out of there smiling at each other going, okay, we, we made progress here. And, and, and it wasn't a fight and it wasn't a power grab. So I think the Minnesota nice thing for me is, is mostly just come from my background and my family's upbringing is like, Hey, you don't have to, be anything but friendly in these teams, it won't serve you to go down the roads of um, emotional responses and, and it, it has to be this way. It does, a team doesn't operate effectively in the long run that way. So that's a, my approach is to come in and be like, okay, everybody, we have some problems we got to solve. Let's, let's take our best, most logical, open-minded, creative brains, and let's do this with a smile on our face and, and know that we can come out clean. And not start out with a, all right, everybody, get in here, solve this problem, fix it, make it go away, 
Um, that just sets the wrong tone. And as you're describing that, it takes you have an art background. You have that creative side where, where collaboration was, was key and a lot of your design work and what you do. And some of that leadership that you described being the opposite side, it reminds me of a lot of, of graduate school business programs. We've got a problem, get here and solve it versus you're much more collaborative in the way. And it sounds to me that you hold all your teammates and and with with high respect, you value their opinion. There's no such thing as a stupid idea, and, and you get things done in that manner. Yeah, I, I I always find the best teams that I'm on are the people who everybody wants to learn everything about the product that we're trying to implement, so that they can be thoughtful about avoiding major pitfalls and logical about getting around trees. So attracting learners in a, in a group of people and creative learners on top of that who can see beyond that tree and the, find the avenues of success is, is really, really critical. And I think people don't consider themselves creative until they're given the opportunity to be creative. There are no wrong answers. It's a little cliche. There are no wrong questions. We explore them. And even if your half of an idea today doesn't follow through, it's a good chance that in three days when we're working on a similar um, related issue that your idea, because it was on the table, can be creatively inserted and solve yet another problem. So to take a creative approach and see beyond the project, like remember, we're trying to get here for now, but we're trying to get there in a year or three months after the roll of the product, allows you to, the runway, to think through and cycle through those creatively. And what a creative person does is doesn't think about the pen they're using. They don't think about the medium anymore. They think about how they want to portray like a painting. And I, I need this to not just be a portrait of a person. I need this to evoke a response. So I have to think beyond the mechanical aspects of this project I'm working on or this painting I'm developing. And I need to think about what it's doing for the customer, the viewer, and what response they're going to have to it. And I can make a lot of decisions based on that versus I only have this pen and this piece of paper to work with. I, I love that description. Uh, I, I thoroughly support that. I, I, I actually believe that same philosophy because as we've talked, that's a lot of what improvisation is about. There's no bad ideas. It just bridges to good ideas. No ideas lead to nothing. And, and fostering an environment where you can accept some real crazy ideas will give you the bandwidth to come up with a solution. There was a quote recently that someone said that uh, is creativity is found at the edges. Where you, you're pushing those limits, you're, 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 but you're, you fostered an environment that the, your teammates will give you some maybe some crazy ideas or or some thoughts that you can take that now mold it and, and create from it. Right. And, and I like, I, I think I've heard that same expression. What I've actually found the unintended effect of that is, is when we start going on and everybody has about, somebody will come up with a challenging statement and challenge the, the course we're on at just the right point, it seems like. And it, it's more than like, hey, creatively help us get to this end result. But as we're getting to that end result, they feel empowered. Everybody feels empowered to challenge what we're doing right now. Because a new piece of data, they're guaranteed will come in. Like a painter who throws a wrong stroke 
on his painting. He's got to make a decision now. And when we get those challenges, it does two things. It either we have to sit back and reassess, which means we need to broaden our scope and get to those edges and say, did we all agree? And let's think about this space again. Let's not just barrel through it and pretend it doesn't exist. And then it'll either reaffirm us that we are doing the right thing or it'll enhance the thing we are doing and make it even better or faster or more effective across a a larger um, set of results. So to step back is something people say a lot. Step back, look at your project. Uh, Well, that's true, but that's kind of like, I'll put it on the schedule. Every Tuesday we step back, we look at our project. But if you allow space for that for your teammates and yourself to challenge what you're doing, from a, is this really the right path? Because a new piece of data just came in and everybody has the expectation to pull back and look at that bigger picture again and, and push out to those edges. Uh, there's always a benefit in that exercise. If it's five minutes or if it's an hour, there's always a benefit in that exercise in, in the teams I've worked on. That leader that you, that you are, you're more of a curator versus... That people don't envision one person as the ultimate responsibility for the success. Okay. Like if this thing falls on its face, it's it's just going to be him. Okay, he's, he's the leader. But if a, if you're a curator of a team and the playing field is as level as possible, it's everybody's success. Success over ownership. I don't need to own a project. If if I'm going to come into if I'm working on a project, I'm not interested in necessarily making sure that I own the project. The the project and when it is successful, that it was my project as much as the success of the project is what matters. And when we're done and everybody's high-fiving each other, I'm not going to say, I ran that project. I'm going to say, this was a successful project. You, you can't talk about having a level playing field throughout a process and project of mass proportions and then come on the other end and take credit for it. You'll lose all credibility. And the next time you're on a project, you would have to completely rebuild that credibility as opposed to take that momentum Moving forward, said the team that was successful here, or the curator, is at it again. And here we go. We can take the same approach, and we can keep our minds open, and we can keep a level playing field, and we can build the next great thing. Because nobody's going to stand up and take credit for everybody else's work. So, uh, being in the corporate world, being in in this fast paced business climate where disruption seems to be everywhere. Are you finding that people just want to get to a point and let's move on to the next and we're not quite thinking through the whole process? I do. And, and I don't want to make it sound like I go into these teams or these projects with a, well, we'll just see what we come out with approach and we'll take every challenge as it comes. Um, we still very much start in a place prepared for success. Um, you know, we do a very analytical approach on these things. and we, we, we take a, a, a detailed plan, uh, a set of objectives, a set of expectations, a timeline. But we use that as a touch point over our strict guide. And that touch point allows us to go back and say, well, especially when reporting up to senior leadership, senior leadership, here's what you know we're working on. Here's you know what we're doing. And here's where we are in the process. And we, we still build out timelines and charts and, and all those things that are very specific. But we use those as reporting 
mechanisms, not the, we all sat around and had an hour conversation about this one detail. Senior leadership doesn't need to hear about how we came to the conclusion in the long, drawn-out version. Here's the conclusion we came to, and here's the quick whys, and here's the outcome. Um, So there isn't that much resistance to the process of being creative because we all know that we still have to come out with the logic to report to senior leadership. And in my this organization that I'm in, very, very smart people. But that's where we're at. We need to report up our progress. So I don't suggest that we're, we're, we're substituting process for creativity. They both have to happen. Okay. So well, I'm going to take a step back for a bit. And, and so you come out of the Minneapolis College of Art and Design with the with, with a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Animation and Film. And you've got this very creative mind, but you haven't haven't really worked in a business type environment. And, and now you come in to work as a media director in 2000, 2001. But my, I guess my point is what I hear from you today, you've learned a lot over that period, over the last 17, 18 years about how business works and how you fit into that role, having that creative mind that, that maybe people aren't, you're seeing things that other people aren't thinking, but you're able to communicate that in a way now that maybe 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't get that point across. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a very strange journey. So I've, I've worked for small businesses where I work directly for the owner. I've worked for large companies and I've worked for association management. And I've in all those instances been very lucky to have leadership who, when I asked for a challenge, they offered it to me and they helped me through the way. But from a maturity standpoint, somewhere along that line, I learned to be quiet. <laughs> 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 as opposed to going into the meeting and saying, in order for me to make any kind of influence in here, I need to come in with and, and have an opinion and say something and, and my mouth has to move. And I learned through, again, fantastic leaders then and now that active listening and thoughtful acceptance of what you're hearing from your other team members is a big deal. And, and you don't have to be the person in the room who's got the answer all the time. You have to add to the data so the group can come. To, so, yes, I started with a creative background. I've been, I still have a, a heavy creative outlet, which is great for me. But I'll tell you, one part about being creative is being thoughtful. And you can't think and talk at the same time. Oh, my God. Well said. Uh <laughs> I, told you this, I told you this one analogy when we were having lunch with, that I'll take a sucker to a meeting. Yeah, I love this. And people think I eat all the time, and I, I do. I'm a snacker. Um, I really have to have my hands working on something a lot. But I'll take a sucker to a meeting, and I'll put it in my mouth, and I'll leave it there for as long as possible. And, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in an organization where we, we all understand each other. I'm, I'm not likely to do that in front of my CEO, right? But if we're in a meeting and we're having a, a business conversation. I'm not going to say anything for a while. I want to hear, right? I want to hear what the problem is. I want to hear what the potential solutions are over here. I want to hear what we're trying to accomplish. What is the objective? I want to hear it. And I may not always come up with an answer. And quite honestly, in a lot of cases, it's not my responsibility to have the answer, but it may be my responsibility to enhance the potential outcome with my channel of video production 
or at least know how it affects the current projects I'm working on or give them information based on what I've heard, how my project affects theirs. I can't do that if I'm constantly coming, trying to solve everybody's individual problems before they're all on the table. So I just keep my mouth shut for a while. I love that analogy. Um, Actually, I'm going to pass that along to some of my colleagues in, in corporate America and say, you need to buy a bunch of suckers. Right. <laughs> and put it on the conference table. Yeah, I, I tell you what, that would really come in. That might be the cure for the conference call. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have to deal with a lot of conference calls. And I, I've heard so many stories about these conference calls that are so painful. And I've been on a few, but I'm like, I, I don't envy people who have to work in those spaces. Um, I do. I, there's a, such a tremendous value to pulling everybody together with a, with a purpose. Let's not have a meeting because we need to have a meeting. No, here's what the meeting's about. Here's a problem we're trying to solve. Please come with your ideas, not your solutions. The the meeting is designed to come up with the solution. Come with your ideas and let's come out with a solution. If you tell everybody to come with a solution, then everybody's preset in what they think the answer is. And a lot of people, I think, you naturally do that. You're, you're your job. You want, you, you want to be the person who provides the answer. But that's, why I, I, that's how I kind of adopted the, you know what, I'm going to sit here and listen to everybody's opinion or their, their individual solutions and, and then have thoughtful statements to make. And I think if less people come with preconceived outcomes, Two projects that are huge will actually land in better places at, at the end of a process. It is, a, it is a, it is something you have to stick to and kind of remind yourself of. I want to remake those statements, Pete. I think if more people can come with potential solutions or ideas on the solution, not an absolute answer, you'll find yourself navigating waters more simply as opposed to forcing yourself down paths um, that not everybody's comfortable with. And then you'll start losing, you'll start losing enthusiasm and then you'll start losing um, people's tenacity. And then you'll start losing the ability to be creative and and to work around the next problem. Exactly. And and in the world of improv, we call that bring a brick, don't bring the cathedral. And and those who bring, who come in with, this is going to be the solution. You're also dealing with, their ego. Uh, and that can be a challenge within itself. But if you can create that culture that, okay, this may be a potential solution, but I'm going to throw my ideas out there. Uh, all the while, I mean, I, I think your, your comment about, about listening is one of the strengths that sets you apart from other leaders because the more we listen, you described it, the more you can gather the thoughts, you can see where it fits, you can provide your input and move it forward versus talking all the time and not letting others participate. I think that's a skill. Well, I believe it's a skill that is lacking today in most leaders is the inability to just set aside their agenda and listen to everybody and then formulate an idea or an opinion. To me, that's true leadership. You know, I have to credit four years of art school um, to my ability over... It took a long time still after that, but I, people say, I don't want to offend you, or I don't want to, um, even when they're critiquing our video production, 
work. I don't want to be nitpicky and all these things. And I tell them, I don't have an ego when it comes to positive change. Right. I went to four years of art school. From the day you apply, they are telling you your work is not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) And they're, they're telling you why you should have done something that you probably spent a week on differently. And you have to, first of all, have the the tough enough skin to listen to that and actually hear it. Right. And then second of all, you got to act on it the next time you're going to produce something and, and, and ingrain it in what you do. So you have to leave, you have to have the ability to, to get through those things without turning it into a, I'm right, you're wrong. And ego is usually the first thing that sets you down that path. I think. Right. I, I, I agree. And I, I have a friend who, uh, my best friend in Lexington, Kentucky, he's got a background in art. I think he ended up with a degree in art history. He was an architect, and now he's a pharmaceutical salesman. I mean, he's probably one of the best salespeople since he got right into the business, but he he has that creative side of his brain, and he doesn't... It's okay if you tell me he's wrong. Let's come up... Let's let's find out kind of the same thing that you're talking about. And as I, I sit there and think about those folks who I have met who have art degrees or liberal arts degrees and, and they seem to attack business problems so much differently than those who come out of business schools and MBA programs. And they, they come at it with such a breath of fresh air versus a crisis. Right. We are getting really, really good at that in the current organization I'm in. And, and it, it shows and when the results are out, it really does. Um, that we thought beyond this project, and um, we we didn't treat it like a crisis. We treated it like an opportunity, right? Right. And we didn't look at the the launch date on this and call that the end of the project. Right. We looked beyond it, and it takes a, it takes creativity to look into the future, and to have any idea what it is that you're trying to bring into focus. Um, and this organization is getting really, really good at that. Let's talk about what it can be and what we need, we believe will come into focus. Coming into focus. So I, I, I sit there and, and I think about challenges today in the business environment and taking this approach on leadership style and, and thinking about having think, thinking about the future. But as you're describing that, thinking about the future, correct me if I'm wrong, in that thought process, you're not thinking so much about the organization. You're thinking about your members. You're thinking about your customers and how it's going to have an effect on them versus versus the organization itself. Would, would that be a fair statement? Oh, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in the, the customer at the end of the day is, is why you do everything, right? You know, micro level, you might say, oh, my boss is going to be happy because I did this. Well, at the end of the day, the long-term vision and, and the thing you're profoundly trying to affect is your customer experience. And and for the better, of course. And you have to listen to them and you have to hear what they want. And you can't get into a situation where you just decide what reality is for them. Um, so your, your, your customer input and your customer, you have to put your customer hat on and try to look inward at this project or this process, or this experience, and figure out what they're thinking. You know, you can get that data, but what they're not thinking is is the hard, that they're not thinking 
yet, I should say. What they haven't thought of yet is, a, is the challenge beyond that. What are they going to think of next? What are they going to want next so we can be prepared and we know everything there is to know about what we can offer them so we're ready to do it as soon as, or, or better yet, we put it in front of them and they go, oh, I never thought I wanted this. This is amazing. And as you're describing that, and the episode prior to this one, when I interviewed Ted Janis, we were talking about this, and we were using the 80-20 rule where take 20% of your customers that provide you 80% of your revenue, and what you should do with them is sit down with them quarterly and say, tell me what you think, and get that direct one-on-one feedback. Call it a focus group, call it whatever, but directly go into the customers, clients, members, getting them in the room, getting their feedback, and then molding from there. It is, it, and I thought that was a brilliant idea about continuing to grow and getting ideas and, and making sure that your audience, that, that, that you're delivering something that your audience needs and wants versus what you think they need and want. Yes. Uh, I mean, maybe it's the virtue of me working for the Ohio Society of CPAs for eight years, but... Um, that organization and organizations like it, and this one, if you don't understand your member or your customer, then you are most likely running around in a dark room um, with your projects, hoping to catch the right thing. Uh, you're, you're not going to get in the right place strictly internal decision-making. Exactly. You, you do need, and I think a lot of times with, with, with products, with services, with opportunities, we we think we understand that our audience, but in fact, we don't. We haven't gone out and, and had these touch points with them and got their direct feedback, uh, it, whether it's through a survey or through a roundtable discussion, uh, and then take that back into the into the lab, per se, and see what we can come up with. I, I can't agree with that more. I don't even know if I have anything to add. And, and it's because <laughs> it's, it's, you're so absolutely correct about that remind people to take that step because it isn't something everybody thinks is necessary. They, they feel like, oh, it's additional data, but we'll still get in a room and make up our own minds because we know what tools we have to work with. And I just, you're absolutely correct. You have to make that step. You've got to constantly listen and constantly adapt I'm sure you know what paintbrush you have to work with to make this masterpiece, but there is a compromise between what you have and what they're asking for. It doesn't matter the size of the audience. An example I'll use is um, I'm currently the president-elect of our local National Speakers Association, Ohio chapter. and Part of my responsibility is setting the programming for next year as president. And the way it's been done in the past is, well, I know somebody. This person would be good but not really knowing what the audience wants. So I did something different this year. I surveyed our membership, our professional membership, and gave them nine options and a tenth with tell me what I forgot and got that feedback back. Now I know what they want. I can build it to them versus thinking what they want. And and by thinking what they want, I think that's part of our challenge uh, of membership is why some members aren't coming back to meetings because we're not giving them what they want. Yeah, and the, the other half of the, well, I'm glad that that's, that, that you did that. I mean, that is going to pay off big time. And, and don't get me wrong, we, we are talking to membership and always or have a, a pulse on that. 
What's interesting about membership-driven organizations is that you have a shrinking pipeline coming in and a lot of people retiring. And the people who generally spend and engage in your organization are the people who are on their way out. And you can't ignore them. So what they want is different than what the incoming membership wants. And you have to figure out a way to satisfy both parties so you don't lose the incoming and you don't lose the, out, the, the, the seasoned member. So the challenge, how do I satisfy both those needs? If somebody can crack that code, <laughs> they, can, they, they got lighting in a bottle. Uh, some organizations are really doing a fantastic job of, of figuring that out. But every different profession has a completely different set of um, expectations. Exactly. They, they do. And, and the, the, the thing about the membership. And, and what I did was I went out and talked to some of the seasoned speakers who've been around for a while and asked them, why aren't they coming to the meeting? And they said, well, you're, not, you, you, you're providing more guidance, professional development for that beginning speaker. I need something at my level. And actually, I want it at my level pretty much most of the year. And we can challenge that, that, that newbie or the ones, with, you know, kind of the rookie in, to bring their game up versus bringing the game down. Uh, and, and I heard that a number of times. And, and that's what led me to say, I need to really understand what they want and build something for them. Uh, I, I hope it works. Yeah, right. I mean, it, but, you know, keep your mind open to the in-between lines of what you're hearing from them and the resources you have. And then, you know, think creatively about, um, I need a program on X. Well, okay. There's more to it than that. There's always more. To it. Right. Always more. You're asking for X, but when we, when we really start thinking about this and pull them back, you need X, Y, and Z. And that's a member benefit that they didn't ask you for, but when they see it, they see it and they go, obviously I needed that. Right. I it at the time, but the creative people in your organization unpacked it at a thoughtful team conversation and came to the conclusion that if we're going to build X, we can build Y and Z right behind it, and we're going to create more value. And that's the challenge, and that's the end result, is creating that value within the organization that bring membership in, that, 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 that retain customers, clients, associates, uh, in, in order to grow an organization. It's that what value are we providing? And then I also say that, do our members, do our customers trust us? Are we trustworthy? And if we are, perfect. But if they deem that we're not, membership tends to decline. Yeah, I've been fortunate to be in organizations where trust is well-established, I would say. And you're, but you, you need to have that trust. I think you need to be real, right? Um, and you have to be personable um, so people can feel that you're approachable as an organization and that they can feel like they can tell you the thing that you're not asking directly for. And you should be not just telling them things that, they, that you decide they need to know, but you have to deliver on those messages you're getting back from them. Um, but you, I think you have to be a very approachable organization. And that starts with a mindset inside the building and how you approach everything you do. Well, knowing you as long as I have and knowing you from the Ohio Society, what you just described is Clark Price in a lot of ways. I have no doubt. Clark Price, a very influential 
leader in uh, my time here in Ohio. Uh, hard, hard to uh, hard to have this conversation without hearing his voice somewhere in my head. <laughs> uh, and then I mean that in a good way. Uh, yes, I, I don't even know where to start. It really, the, he's so dynamic, and and he knows and understands so many aspects. And he was an active listener and still is, you know, I, I still stay in contact with Clark and he attracted people to his table that could deliver and could be open to the challenges. And when you delivered, it wasn't, it was, you're always set up for a level of success, but you were going to do the work and, and you were going to bring the recommendations in, but he wasn't a, in my opinion, with the big projects that I worked on, with him and other leaders in that organization, like uh, Chris Jenkins and uh, Boyd Search and um, Alan Lloyd and, and many others in the time I was there, of course, that you had to deliver on his idea, absolutely. And that this thing might take a more logical route and land in a more logical place. And it was up to you to clearly convey that and explore those options so that it was the most successful product, project, or process you could come to the table with. And I don't know at the time I recognized that, but looking <laughs> back, it's very, very clear. Uh, but that was the environment I was in. And I'm in that environment currently. I'm attracted to those environments. And, and you know what? You got to see him day in and day out. Uh, I, I didn't get that opportunity, but what I did see, a great mentor, a great developer of people, I've had, uh, he's done a couple of interviews for me on the podcast and I keep uh, up with him as much as I can because I value his input. I value his knowledge. I, you know, he's such a great teacher and, and I'm, we're not sitting here blowing smoke up, up Clark's uh, dress here, but it, it's just a, a testament to some of the qualities that great leaders have and what they have taught their people and how they're carrying that beyond and what they're doing within other organizations like what we're talking about the Ohio Bar Association and the impact you're having there uh, is just a testament to what from the people that we've learned from in our past. Yeah, these guys were, are really good at what I call extending the leadership and not have it be roles-based, but have it be skills-based. To that, I mean, when I was at the OSCPA, I was a specialist. I wasn't even a manager, if you will, from a perspective of your level of employment but that didn't matter this was the guy who could get a, get in on this project and do it and that's extending the leadership in my opinion and uh he and the rest of that team who have and, and even the people there still now and he and quite honestly now the organization i am with has that so ingrained that I don't even know if they recognize that it happens. They, it's just a really good cultural place to be when you don't say the only people who run programs are people at this level and above. The only people who have input are these people and above. They extend the leadership in this organization in a very healthy way to get really good results. And one day, my hope is to be in a position to extend that leadership in the same way. Um, but I got... I got a lot of projects to work on <laughs> and I'm enjoying the space I'm in now. So, uh, yeah, Clark, Boyd, those, those guys, they, I don't know if they, they knew they were doing it at the time, but they can't deny it. 
We know they can't, and, and I think they'll be really appreciative of the comments to them. Uh, but as we, as I sit here and think, because we need to begin to wrap this up, you you mentioned that where you are now, what you which where you aspire to, and if I may personally inject here, I, I, you've got the leadership values criteria that is missing in a lot of leaders uh, out there of that art background, of that listening, of that bigger picture, that vision. My friend, stay the course. Keep doing the voodoo that you do so well. Keep keep pushing people in, in, in an inclusive way. Keep that vision out there. Provide that input. Continue to listen. And, and no, I have no doubt in my mind that you will reach that goal sooner than you think. Well, I appreciate that, Pete. I really do. It's a, it's a journey I intend to, uh, to, to keep true to myself and continue to charge on and learn and expand my horizons with every decision and, and a hurdle that we have to try to get over. And you have a great support system at home, your wife and your three lovely daughters. And give them a big shout out because um, I do follow you on Facebook and, and you're such a good dad. I, I know you're so busy at what you do, but you spend, you, you, you're, you're present with them. You take the time, you, you spend, especially if they're young, you spend that critical time with them, which is valuable further than you believe. I enjoy my family time. I love my ladies. I, uh, I, well, we do balance a lot of things <laughs> in our lives, but uh, none of this would be worth it or we're even um, worth the effort without, without them. And they're, they're the reason we do all these things that we do. It's not for my own glorification. It's, it's so I can be with my family and we can live the lifestyle we wish to live. So I appreciate those, uh, those comments. Well, Chris, I, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me. I've, as always, I enjoy our conversation I, 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 and having these conversations. I know we'll have more in the future, and I look forward to having you back as a guest in the near future. Thanks, Pete. I would like to thank Chris again for sharing his story and perspective of leadership. We all need to embrace our creative side and accept feedback with the attitude that will help us get to the solution quicker. In episode 95, I interviewed Kristen Rampey. He was a CPA and improviser, and we discussed a cool training tool called PowerPoint Improv. Well, thank you for listening, and always remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect, communicate, and market to your clients and prospects. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.